God is good. How many of you are ready to look at the Bible and see what it says about hearing God? Well, if we ever need to hear God, it's now. Amen? Let's go ahead and put this up here. And uh, let's go ahead. I'm going to begin to read it. And this is Hearing God Part 2, Removing the Clutter, the things that get in the way of us hearing the voice of God. So, hearing aids. Now, let's pray, and then we're going to get into some things you're going to notice. You're going to recognize them. And what we're going to do is get to the point where when God speaks, we hear it and we know that it's Him. And then next week, we're going to talk about fine-tuning, just like you tune in a radio, fine-tuning. So let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for the word of the Lord and thank you that your sheep hear your voice. And Lord, you want to speak and you are speaking. So much of your church is not listening. We want to be a people who listen. So Lord, speak to us tonight in the name of Jesus. Can you pray a prayer with me and say, Lord, unstop my ears. Anything standing in the way of my hearing you, remove it in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, can you hear me? <laughs> Be seated. All right. <laughs> All right, let's, talk at, let's look at various reasons why we have trouble hearing the voice of God. Uh, here's the first one, sin and, and iniquity. Now, how many of you have uh, ever been driving down the highway, talking on a cell phone, and all of a sudden you couldn't hear? The, 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 there was interference between you and whoever you were talking to. You know, here's the idea as we get into this, that God is talking. And God didn't just talk through his word, though that's the main place he speaks through. But his spirit, Jesus said, he's, I'm going to send the spirit and he's going to lead you and guide you into all truth. Now look what he said. He will not speak of himself, but he will speak of me. So Jesus told us the Holy Spirit is going to speak. The idea is, are we listening or is clutter getting in the way? Now with today's cell phone technology, we can call whoever we want anywhere in the world while driving in our car. But we've all experienced that reception becoming filled with static. We call it being in a bad area. I can think of areas where always I, I drop the call because something gets in the way. And I've noticed every once in a while you can get next to a big diesel and that diesel somehow blocks the signal and everything becomes, and the person is, okay, say, I can't hear you. Well, I can hear you. Well, I can't hear you. Well, I'm talking. Well, I can't hear you. I think of God there. He's talking. And uh, so the transmitting tower, it's still fully functional, and God's voice is still fully functional. But we're in no position to receive. We're in a bad area. So this is exactly what happens with the interference of sin and iniquity in our lives. The Father's voice is blocked. Now, I'm going to tell you, that sin is the number one issue that blocks our hearing. We got to keep a clear channel. You know what I've always said about sin in the life of the believer. Don't ever give sin any longer than a 24-hour shelf life. Uh, and, and really, don't give it 
longer than a few minutes if you can help it. Immediately repent. The more we practice repentance and staying right with God, the better our hearing of the voice of God is going to be. Sin plogs our ears up every time. And the difference between sin and iniquity, and there is a difference, I want you to catch this. Sin can easily be forgiven, but the word iniquity in the Hebrew means literally to be bent out of shape. Hence the expression that one has a bent for sin. Now, we all sin, but here's why we sin. We sin because we have iniquity. We have a bent for sin. We have a bent towards sin. Nobody ever had to teach you and I how to sin. Amen? You ever notice a little kid? You don't have to teach a little kid to talk back. He, he figures it out all on his own. Where does it come from? A bent towards sin. This is why Isaiah wrote, We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity. The what? The iniquity. The bent towards sin of all of us. He laid the guilt of it. We inherited the bent towards sin from Adam. And there's usually that one area in most everyone's life where he or she is particularly vulnerable and weak. Amen? Anybody in here that has an area like that, raise your hand. The rest of you see it's lying. <laughs> we all have a weakness. Everybody in here can say you got a weakness? Okay. I'm not asking you to make a bad confession. It's a true confession. Now, uh, we need God's help in that area more than anywhere else, whatever it happens to be. Some people have a terrible temper. Some people are drawn uh, just to alcohol or some kind of drug. Some people deal with lust issues all the time. Other people fear and doubt and unbelief. We all have a weakness. Now, that's where we need God's help, and that's usually the area that tends to get in the way more than anything else of us hearing the voice of God, and it interferes with the Father's voice. So we need to pray, dear Lord, straighten all the iniquity out of me. See, if there's that one thing, you're always having to go back and say, here I am again. I did it again. Forgive me again. Can you forgive me again? And of course, he always does. But that might be an area we need to look at and say, Lord, I've really got an iniquitous bent towards this, and I need you to help straighten me out here. All right? Now, the second Source. So everybody say with me, sin will stop up your ears. Yes, it will, your spiritual ears. Keep short accounts with God. Now, the second source of interference with the Father's voice is preoccupation with the things of the world. Jesus showed in the parable of the sower in Luke 8, 7, that some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked the seed. That's a strong word, choked, strangled the seed. See, God's working in every one of us, and if we're not careful, always being concerned about the bills, the kids, life, the job, clothes, food, everything that comprises getting by in life, if that prevails and dominates in our thinking, it strangles, Jesus said, chokes the seed of the Word of God operating in us. And what did he say? And he becomes unfruitful. He explains in verse 14, that which fell among thorns, talking about the seed of the Word of God, are they which when they have heard, go forth 
and they are choked, strangled with cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and they bring no fruit to perfection. Now, if you were to ask me of the four kinds of seed that Jesus described, only one of them was good. Three were failures. The fourth one was good. Good seed that fell on good ground. He talked about three failures and then one success as far as the sowing of the seed. If you were to ask me which ones Americans are most likely to fall prey to, it's this one. The cares, the riches, the pleasures, the stresses of life. And if we're not careful, they will dominate our thinking where we don't give God's Word time to operate in us and we don't bring any fruit to perfection. We don't grow into any maturity in the fruit of the Spirit. And it's a sad thing, but it happens all the time. Galatians speaks of the fruit of the Spirit. Each one are attributes of the Lord's character. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, faith. All of those things are attributes of Jesus' character. And when you receive Christ into your life, the Word begins a process of creating in our character that which is lacking in order for us to be Christ-like. Somebody might say, I wish I knew the will of God. Let me tell you the number one primary will of God for you. It is that you be formed into the likeness of Christ. Number one, Romans 8, 28, 29. He makes all things work together for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, purpose that we might be conformed to the image, the icon, the image of his son. God likes Jesus so much he wants a bunch of Jesuses running around. Christians are supposed to be like him. I've been reading in the book of Acts in my devotional every morning, and I've noticed they don't call each other Christians in the book of Acts. They call each other disciples. When they talk about new believers, they immediately call them disciples. They don't call them Christians. They are immediate, it was immediately assumed you would take his yoke upon you, and it was way more than a ticket to heaven. You immediately became a disciple of the Lord Jesus applying his teachings for life and living to your life. Obeying him, living for him, crucifying the flesh, putting your life on the line for him, suffering reproach for him, taking a stand for him, shining in the dark. It was immediately assumed you would be a disciple. It's not something you matured into. Well, I've been a Christian 10 years now. I think it's time for me to become a disciple. No, you're immediately a disciple, a learner, okay? Now, the cares and riches and pleasures of the world can crowd out the influence of God through distractions and stresses. That's why I tell you, you ought to get with him first thing in the morning because you may not make it any other time during the day. Have you ever missed him in the morning and felt like you were playing catch up all day long? just trying to grab hold of the coattail of Jesus because you, you missed him in the morning? Get with him in the morning, first thing, and let that word talk to you. Let that word speak to you. Let the Spirit of God speak to you. If you've got to get up a little bit earlier, do it and make time for him because then you carry that fragrance and that presence with you throughout the day. And the stresses don't seem to have the impact as when you don't get with him at all. 
So let's examine our lives. Let's look at the things we allow to distract us from keeping our eyes solely on God. When Jesus visited Lazarus' household, you remember the story in John, his sisters, Mary and Martha, greeted him. And Martha immediately set about busy work in the kitchen, pots and pans clanging and banging in there. And and, uh, she was busy for the Lord. But Mary sat at Jesus' feet to listen to his word. And Martha got uh, ticked about it. You remember the story? She said, my sister's in there spending all the time with him. I'm in here doing all the work. It's not fair. And she complained to Jesus about her, basically telling him, why don't you tell her to get in here with me and help? And Jesus kind of did a tisk-tisk. He said, Martha, Martha. I can hear him. When the Lord says your first name twice, you're in trouble. Jeff, Jeff. Sherry, Sherry. When he says it twice, you know there's something you have not been getting. Okay? Martha, Martha, you are troubled and worried about many things. Does that describe anybody in here? (laughs) Amen. All right. But say the next words with me. But one thing is needed. One thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. In other words, your time with God is eternal. Your time with God has eternal repercussions. Amen? Because because she was just sitting there listening to him. Tell me more, Lord. I mean, she's got the creator of the universe sitting in her living room. I mean, last place I'm going to be is the kitchen. I'm going to be right there. Tell me. I mean, start talking. I'm listening. Amen? But not Martha. No, no. You see, there's really two kinds of people, Martha's and Mary's. Now, usually you got a little bit of Martha in you and a little bit of Mary both. But some people, usually most people, are, are predominant in one or the other. If you're a Martha, you're always busy for the Lord, always busy doing this and that, and you tend to not feed the Word in you. If you're a Mary, you can be so heavenly-minded you're no earthly good. And you forget you got to get a job and make a living. Oh, the Lord will just provide. It will drop in my living room. No, it won't. So what we need a little bit of both, don't we? We need Martha to, to make it in life, but we need Mary in us to feed our spirit with the Word of God. And he said, what Mary has done is never going to be taken away from her. And boy, am I having clicker trouble tonight because it's not doing it. There we go. One thing is needful. Now, look what the NLT says. It says, there is only one thing worth being concerned about. Isn't that beautiful? There's one thing worth being concerned about. The Word of the Lord in your life. Now let me ask you, do you believe that? Do you really believe that? If, that's, if, if there's only one thing to be concerned of above all else, then shouldn't we put it first? Seek ye first, not second, third, fourth, the first, first, the kingdom of God. And his righteousness, feed your spirit, build yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, looking for the sure return of Jesus Christ. Put that word in you because there's only one thing worth being concerned about above all else, and that's the word working in your life, your spiritual growth. That's it. That's the most important. 
Now, even though Martha was busy waiting on Jesus, her busyness was actually keeping her from the one thing truly needful, listening to the words of Jesus. Even busy church workers sometimes need to slow down a little bit and get with God. Get with God. Spend time with God. For us today, that simply means setting our attention completely on the Lord, listening to what He has to say to us. And I believe the operative word is first, priority, first. Now, it doesn't mean we should become irresponsible with our duties. It doesn't mean that at all. It means that first and foremost, our ear is turned to the Lord on a daily basis. And I believe when that's your attitude, you, you unclog your spiritual ears. Busyness can stop your ears up where God can be saying, hey, hey, slow down. And we don't hear him. I'm trying to tell you something else. We, sometimes God has got to arrest some people. He's got, to, he's got to take drastic steps to stop them long enough to listen. You don't know how many people I've talked to in the hospital who have said to me, now I'm not telling you God's going to put you in the hospital, but I've talked to people in the hospital who said to me, you know, I was so busy, Pastor Jeff. This is the first time I've sat still and I've begun to hear the Lord and I'm suspecting that he had to stop me long enough to hear him. Otherwise, the cares of this life can choke, strangle the word in us, and we become unfruitful, saved, but unfruitful. Now, a third cause of interference is incorrect theology. It matters what you believe about God. Can you say that with me? It matters what I believe about God. Oh, man, big time. Here's one terrible idea that's nursed in certain theological circles, and it is that God no longer speaks today. When the final word was put in the book of Revelation, the canon, C-A-N-O-N, the, the official canon of the Bible, the, the, the finished Bible was done, and God now no longer speaks. He has spoken in His Word. Now, that's true in this. He has spoken in His Word. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. He spoke in His Word. But John said, You have no need that any man teach you. But the same anointing which you have received, the Holy Spirit, that dwells in you, teaches you all things. In other words, the Spirit of God still speaks within the hearts of His children. I mean, and put that out, to me, is to arrive at dead religion and not a living walk with a living Christ. So in some theological seminaries, you may raise many eyebrows if you say that you hear the voice of God with any clarity at all. They may call the van for you. If you say, God, talk to me, you may raise a real eyebrow if you say, God spoke to me this morning. Oh, is that right? And what passage were you reading? Well, I, I put my Bible down and God spoke to me as I was sitting there in the place of prayer. They would say, no, he did not. God has spoken through his word and now he's done. But that's not true. The same spirit that you have received teaches you all things. He guides you. My sheep hear my voice. When you go through the book of Acts, you see God constantly talking to those disciples, constantly leading his church, constantly speaking guiding them, leading them, directing them, giving them visions and dreams. You see angels. You see the, the voice of God. So you see all kinds of supernatural activity. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
All right? So he speaks. Now, how can we know that it's God who is speaking to us and not our own imagination or even the voice of the enemy? You've probably wondered that, and that is a great question. The Bible sheds great light as to what the voice of God is like when he speaks. So let's look at a few. God's voice is faithful. That is, God speaks in accordance with his promises. With his promises. Remember that when we are sincerely seeking after the Lord, the Lord honors that. God promises in Isaiah 30, I love this, verse 18, Therefore the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you. And therefore he will be exalted that he may have mercy on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who do what? Wait for him. For the people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. He will be very gracious to you at the sound of what? Your cry. And what does he do? When he hears it, read it with me, he will, he will answer you. Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Isn't that great? Have you ever just said, Lord, I don't know what to do. And you sought his face. And as time went on, you did hear a voice saying, all right, here's the way. Walk in it. I'm guiding you this way. Take that route. Do this. Do that. Go here. Go there. This is what I'm saying. And he gives you an answer of peace. Thank God. Whenever you turn, God continues to say, whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left, I'm going to be there saying, this is the way. Walk ye in it. So God speaks to us because he promised he would speak to us when we cried out to him. I don't know where you are in your life tonight, maybe without a job. Maybe there's turmoil in some relationship in your life. But can I tell you, when you cry out to him, he has promised to speak and give you a word that says, this is the way. Walk in it. This is the way. And, and that's where we have an edge that the world doesn't have. Because if you're in the world, it's all on you. You've got to figure everything out. But when you know the Lord, you've got a supernatural God that flung the stars into space, who knows where you're going before you ever arrive, who knows your thoughts from afar off, who, who, who watches over you day and night, who says to you, this is the way, walk in it. And when you do, you're blessed. Now, another characteristic is God's voice makes your heart tremble. There is an inner impact when God speaks to us. It kind of blows you away. Sometimes he just gets your attention. At other times when he speaks, it can be so powerful that you feel physically drained and have no strength left to speak. Have you ever had a word like that? I had a few like that. When God told Kathy and I for the very first time to pastor, it was like that. My knees got wobbly. Because I just knew I was supposed to be an evangelist. And when he spoke that to me, I rebuked it, bound it, loosed it. And he kept saying it. And the word of the Lord was powerful. It moved me. Look at what Job said. Job says, my heart pounds as I think of this. It trembles within me. Listen carefully to the thunder of God's voice as it rolls from his mouth. Listen, God doesn't speak casually. When God speaks... It gets your attention. He puts E.F. Hutton to shame. When God really speaks, 
It rattles you. It, it, it moves you. It changes your life. Also, we find that God's voice brings peace. I have never heard God speak things to strike fear in his people, nor to condemn them. Let me tell you, if you're feeling condemned, it is not coming from God. God convicts. God does not condemn. Even if you're dealing with a sin issue, God convicts. He convicts and says you need to repent, but he doesn't condemn. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Jesus Christ, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. God doesn't condemn his people. Rather, it's, it's, his voice is encouraging. It's full of life and comfort and promise and faith. And I'm going to say it, even sweetness. Jeremiah ate the scroll. I think it was Jeremiah ate the scroll of the Word of God. And he said, it was like honey in my mouth. The Word of God is sweet. Listen to the Song of Solomon. Quote, O my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the cliff, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is what, church? Sweet. And your face is lovely. The dove in the Bible speaks of the Holy Spirit. God's voice brings peace. Psalms 85 verse 8 says, I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people and to his saints. Even when he corrects, it leads to peace. The voice of the Lord is a voice of peace. Amen? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God which passes all understanding, will guard like an umpire your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. God gives peace to his people. Let's read that psalm together. It's so good. I will hear. Now, notice he's saying, I'm listening. I will hear. Now, let's finish. What God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people and to his saints. I will hear because God will speak, and when he speaks, he will bring peace. The answer of peace, thank God for it. Whenever you hear a voice that brings you fear or anxiety or trepidation, it's generally safe to say it's not from God. If something comes up to you as a voice and tries to get you in a state of fear about something, Get your mind thinking about something that brings you anxiety. That is not the voice of the Lord. That's when you need to say, uh-oh, I'm anxious, so I need to take this to God so that I can trade it for peace. It's the best valium in the world, God's peace. You don't have to get a prescription for it. The prescription was paid for by the blood of Jesus. It's God's peace. Amen? Now, that's not to say that God cannot warn you if you are purposely walking in a dangerous direction away from Him. God will warn you, but even the warning will have peace with it. You know that it's your Father trying to protect you. So even with a warning, there is peace with it. God is a person of His Word. What God says in His integrity, royalty, divinity, and power, He cannot and will not contradict. If he contradicts himself, guess what? He's not God. If he contradicts himself, the Word is not the Word. But you hold in your hand the Word of God. It's the Bible. 
And the Holy Spirit, who was instrumental in the writing of the Word, will never contradict Himself. He won't do it. So whatever the, the Word says, the Spirit will agree because it was the Holy Ghost that moved on holy men of old to write what they wrote. God promised in the Bible, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So if He turned and walked away from you, He would not be God. Likewise, God says you shall not commit murder. So if you were to hear somebody saying, you know what, God told me I could kill another person to glorify Him, like we hear from Islam. You would know this person was not hearing from Jehovah, God. Because He will not contradict His Word, never. It'll never happen. The Word of God is like a lie detector test against the devil and every emotion or impulse you experience. Hook it up to the lie detector machine. <laughs> Y'all are so serious. But it's true. It's true. You're being tempted to go do something. You're wondering if something is the will of God and it's questionable. Hook it up to the lie detector machine. Take it to the Word of God and run it through the sifter of the Word of God. And it'll either say false or good. It will agree with anything you are about to do or considering doing. It will agree or disagree. It will require that every impulse you have line up with it or it's not from God. It reveals what is sourced in God and what isn't. If you experience an inner prompting or hear a voice or a counsel by others to do something that Scripture disagrees with, you can know it's not of God, no matter how real it seems, no matter how good it looks, no matter how right it seems, or how many people try to persuade you towards it. If it doesn't line up with the Word of God, it's not from Him. That is our ultimate tester. That's our ultimate sifter, that Word. We'll say, Pastor Jeff, does God ever make an exception for anybody? Never. So in other words, there's never going to be a situation where he tells me that I am free to step away from what the Bible says. Never. Well, that's not what I'm wanting to hear because I'm kind of feeling like I'm unique. That's the devil telling you you're unique. He loves telling people they're unique and they don't apply that they're somehow above the rules. You're never above the rules. The Word is there to protect you from destroying yourself. So no matter how real it seems, how good it looks, if the Word says no, that's it. You can walk away. You don't need to pray about it. Hebrews 4.12 says the Word of God, it's quick, it's powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces to the dividing asunder of your soul and your spirit. And look what it says, and the joints and the marrow. In other words, it divides between your mind and your will and your emotions and your spirit, man. It is able to divide those two as nothing else can and reveal the thoughts and intents and motivations of our heart. That's why a lot of people won't go to a church where the Bible's preached. Because it searches. It really does. It, it, it searches. It, it's like a light comes on. And, and, it, and it penetrates. And it, it reveals 
your real motivations. And it brings you to a place of repentance. A lot of people don't like reading the Bible at all because it convicts. I was reading the book of Acts this morning, and I got convicted that those guys were so red hot, it made me feel lukewarm. Just they were so red hot for God. Peter's on a, on a rooftop, and he was hungry. He said, but I'm going to go ahead and pray before I go eat. And he prays. And while he's praying, he goes into a trance, and he has a vision. And out of heaven comes a sheet held at four corners. And he has this incredible vision. And down this sheet comes, and he looks in it in the vision, and here's a bunch of unkosher creatures. And a voice says, take Peter, kill and eat. Now, now he's sitting there having this vision from God. And in the vision he says, not so, Lord. I've never eaten anything unclean. And God gave him a word and said, what God has cleansed, you can't call common. In other words, don't judge a person that God has cleansed. Well, right about then, there's three men knocking on the door who God has already sent so that Peter would go with them and bring the gospel to the Gentiles for the very first time. And the only reason that I'm saying this is when you walk in the Word and you walk in obedience to Him and your ears are unclogged, you open yourself up for the miraculous. God's a supernatural God and He has given birth to a supernatural people. And if you hear Him, well, it's an exciting life. It's not dull. Does God really speak and want to speak to all Christians? The opening scripture in Acts 22, verse 14, reveals Paul's calling. It says, look at look what Paul's calling. It's so powerful here. The God of our fathers has chosen you, that you should know his will. Now, this is Ananias talking to Saul before Saul became Paul. He is blind from a great light from heaven. Scales are over his eyes. He hasn't eaten or had even a drink of water for three days and nights. He's sitting in Simon the Tanner's house. And Ananias is led to go in there and lay hands on him that he'd receive his sight. His theology has been completely shattered. He's an undone man. And Ananias comes in and, and lays his hands on this horrific persecutor of the early church and says, the God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and do what everybody hear read it with me hear the voice of his mouth he's giving you spiritual ears Saul now religious people may argue well that scripture was meant only for the apostle Paul but we got to ask ourselves did Paul ever exalt himself above other Christians no he said I'm the least of the apostles he never did that we've all been chosen and washed in the blood of the lamb We've all been drawn to God. We're all called to hear His voice. Not just a select few. In Revelation 2.15, Jesus tells the church of Pergamos that He's displeased that some ascribe to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which He hates. Nicholas of the Nicolaitans was a man in this era who taught that there needed to be a spiritual elite who did all of your penance, all your sacraments, and who heard God for you. In John 10, Jesus said, wait a minute, that those who are his sheep know his voice. 
Jesus is not seeking for a spiritual elite. But that we all come to him like little children and we all would hear his voice. Folks, you don't need me to hear God for you. You can hear God for you. God wants to talk to you. There's not some spiritual elite of some little, little compact subgroup of Christian leaders who only hear the word of God. God wants to speak to every person in this room. He wants to talk to you in the quiet of your prayer closet. He wants to open your ears so that the spirit of God can talk to you. He wants to talk to you about you. He's got an individual word for you. He's got a will for you. He's got a destiny for you. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. In our, if our hearts are like that of a little child, we can enter into the kingdom of heaven with all of its promises. Psalms 95 verse 7 warns us that if we do hear his voice, we must not harden our hearts like the people of Israel did in the wilderness where they tried and tempted God and that generation perished. It was the next generation, a generation after the heart of God listening to his voice that entered the promised land. So how can we better hear the voice of God? Let's sum this up. First, repent of all unconfessed sin. Get all sin. You need to have a little understanding between you and Jesus. No secrets. No secrets. Lord, I'm going I'm to, just as I am, without one plea, here I am, Lord. And I'm, I'm daily going to keep short accounts with you. If I mess up, I'm going to get it right immediately, as quickly as I can pray. Repent of all unconfessed sin. Ask God to heal you of all iniquity, all the bent towards particular sins in your life. Ask God to heal you, but keep short accounts. Ask the Lord to show you what attitudes and what behavioral patterns are out of divine order in your life. Is there an attitude grieving him? I repent of four things when I repent. God, forgive me for every wrong thought, every wrong word, every wrong action, and every wrong attitude. I need my thoughts right, my words right, my actions right, my attitudes right. Those are the four areas where you're going to have sin if you've got it. A lot of us don't think about the attitude issue. There's some people got a two-by-four on their shoulder. Forget about a chip. And you need to get it off. Don't walk around with an attitude. There's an angry attitude, a defensive attitude, a mean attitude. So ask God to show you. Be open to where you need to change, especially if these are bringing interference between you and His voice. Be instantly obedient to the inner promptings of the Holy Spirit. Now as we close, I want you to catch that one. For me... Aside from keeping my relationship with him totally clear, this one is the way you open your ears. When you are prompted by the Holy Ghost, and he can talk to you at any time during the day. I mean, you'll just be at work or you'll be going somewhere and the Spirit of God will put somebody on your heart or bring something to your mind that he wants you to take care of. It can be a million different things, but the Spirit of God will speak to you about something. Don't put it off. Immediately obey. And if you get into immediately obeying the voice of the Lord, 
you'll find that you catch that voice quicker and quicker all the time. It begins to unstop your ears because you're obeying. You're tuning your spiritual ears to being sensitive to his voice. A good rule of thumb to remember is pray, then obey. When God speaks, go obey and do it immediately. You know what God will do? Next time, he'll talk again. And then he'll talk again. Then he'll talk again. Some of you the Lord hadn't talked to in a long time because you never did what he told you to do three months ago. You say, Lord, speak to me. I already did speak to you. Well, speak to me again. You already know what I've told you to do. Go do it and I'll talk to you about something else. That's true. When in prayer, be in an attitude of waiting on God, not just calling out each item of your to-do list. Half of prayer is listening once we've finished with our petitions. Listen. The prime time to hear God is after unloading all your cares and needs. Listen after you've prayed. Listen. Every single morning when I get with God, I close my Bible and I lift my arms and I say, okay, now what are you saying to me? Sometimes he'll tell me something. Sometimes he doesn't. But almost always there's at least a little encouragement, a little word that lifts me up, that helps me. He wants to hear from you, but he also wants you to hear from him in the place of prayer. Rest in him. Trust in his grace. You may not hear immediately, but God promises to guide and speak to you. So rest in the Lord, the Bible says, and wait patiently for him. Sometimes you may wait on the Lord in your prayer time, read the word, and then leave the house for the day without a word, but it will come. His guidance is sure. Rest in his faithfulness. Psalms 46.10 says, let go, relax, knowing that he is God. Psalms 46.10, rest in him. Let's stand together, can we? Now next time we're going to talk about adjusting your dial. Now here's, it doesn't do any good to go through a series like this unless we're going to put it into practice. So let me encourage you to do something. The rest of this week, get up in the morning early enough to get with God. And then once you've prayed and been in the, in the Word, listen for Him to talk to you. Listen for Him to speak through His Word or to speak by His Spirit into your heart. But wait for the Lord to speak to you. Amen? Now, when we're finished here and we've said the amen, Heidi's going to come out. And what we're going to do is do a quick practice run for this Sunday at the restaurants. We're going to sing. We're going to have different people stand up, sing the doxology, and show you how we're going to do it in the restaurants. Because we're going to invade 12 restaurants with the light of Jesus. And we're going to just stand up. When everybody's eating, you're going to start singing the doxology that we sang tonight, the first stanza. So we're going to do a dry run, okay? So don't leave. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you right now that you want to speak to your children. Help us to remove the sin. Help us, Lord, to obey the initial promptings of the Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, to rest in you and to wait patiently for your voice to say to us, this is the way, walk ye in it. 
Thank you for unplogging our spiritual ears, removing the clutter, that we would be a people that hear you and then do what you have said and walk in that supernatural walk with God. In Jesus' name. Now, can you lift your hands for a minute and say, Lord, I want this kind of walk. 